If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please turn to Colossians 1. Turn to Colossians 1. I'm going to begin with a story now. In, uh, on January 28th, 1945, at 2 p.m., it was eight months before the end of, of World War II. And a combined force of 300 American soldiers and, and, and Filipino fighters crossed the lines into Japanese territory where they began a 30-mile journey on foot to rescue prisoners of war held at, 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 at Kabanatuan. I cannot tell you how many times I practiced saying that this week. At Kabanatuan. Not there yet. Some prisoners had spent nearly three years in this prisoner of, of war camp in, in, in captivity. Some of them uh, were entered there and, or began their captivity in April 9th, 1942. That date will stand out to some of you. Uh, it is when, um, when some of these soldiers were part of the 9,000 Americans who had survived the Bataan Death March. The 60-mile march in which 20,000 captured Filipino soldiers and American soldiers died from illness, hunger, torture, and murder at the hands of the Japanese army. At its business, the, at, at, at its business, the Kabanatawan prison camp held 8,000 American soldiers. During that time, and they found the remains or letters or dog tags of approximately 2,600 American soldiers who died at that camp. Many others of the soldiers were sent into forced labor, leaving the camp. In October of 1944, as American forces uh, 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 approached Luzon, the Japanese transported the 1,600 remaining able-bodied prisoners from this prisoner of war camp, and they were sent to work in, in Japan. It only left behind from that, at, at most 8,000 soldiers, it only left behind 464 American soldiers. It was a group of a little of 500 mixed soldiers and, 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 and civilians, but the 500 soldiers left, the 464 American soldiers left, were sick, weak, and disabled. The need to rescue these soldiers was urgent. As the Allies made advances in the Philippines, stories were circulating of how the Japanese were executing American prisoners bef be 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 before retreating. In one camp, the story ha had circulated that 150 American soldiers that had been in a prisoner of war camp were burned alive. It was time to rescue the uh, soldiers. Known as the Great Raid or the Raid at, Ka at Kabanatuan, it's one of the most thrilling rescues ever occurred on the night of January 30th, 1945. The combined forces of American Rangers and, and, and Filipino fighters succeeded in rescuing 522 soldiers and, 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 and civilians. They lost only two men in battle, but inflicted heavy losses on the Japanese army. Some of the men were so weak, some of the prisoners who'd been there for three years, and so malnourished that several rescuers were able to carry two prisoners on their back at the same time. 
later that year, the rescued Captain John Dugan, an army chaplain who'd been there for three years, wrote, Of course, Tuesday night, January 30th, was our night of redemption. And there'll never be another night quite like it for any of us. You just can't put into words what your heart feels when, when, when freedom, the last thing you've learned to expect after three years of prison, is suddenly yours. How do I feel about this new freedom? He wrote just a couple months later. It's like walking in a new and wonderful world. Brothers and sisters, you who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, as you think about your rescue from the imprisonment of sin and slavery to Satan, can you remember how your heart felt when freedom was suddenly yours? Do you remember the feeling of walking in a new and wonderful world where you were reconciled to God through Jesus Christ? If you have been rescued from sin, if freedom is yours, if you live in this new and wonderful world of worshiping God and serving him, I'm confident that your heart yearns to live worthy of the one who gave his life for you, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Colossians 1 verses 9 through 14, the apostle Paul prayed that the Colossian believers would walk worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen now as I read it, as the Apostle Paul reminds them of their great rescue from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. I'm going to read Colossians 1, verses 9 through 14. For this reason also, this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Brothers, the great raid, the rescue of the prisoners at at, at, at Tuan as great as it was, has nothing on the greatest raid. That accomplished by Jesus Christ that rescued an untold number of God's enemies. This morning, we're going to look at the last two characteristics of walking worthy so that you can live worthy of your Savior, Jesus Christ, so that you can be pleasing to the Father who orchestrated this greatest rescue in eternity past. This morning, and I'll say it again, we're going to look at the last two characteristics of walking worthy so that you can live worthy of your Savior, Jesus Christ, and be pleasing to the Father who orchestrated your rescue. Now, I say the last two because we looked to at the first two last week. Last week we saw, and we just read them again from Colossians 1.10, we are to walk worthy, number one, by bearing fruit in every good work. Number two, we're to walk worthy by increasing the knowledge of God. And third, we are to walk worthy by enduring. 
We are to walk worthy by enduring, by being steadfast, by being patient. We are to walk worthy by enduring. Colossians 1.11 says, I'll read it again, strengthen with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. And those uh, words there, strengthened and power, they have the same root in the Greek. It could be translated strengthened with all strength or empowered with all power. And that brings out that those two words have the same root. With all power, to the highest degree, unlimited. God is the one doing the strengthening here. God is the one doing the empowering according to his glorious might. And maybe better than glorious might is the might of his glory. Glorious can be described everything from a sunset to a burger. It's a glorious burger or a glorious sunset, maybe more of you would say. But I like the might of his glory. This is God's unparalleled ruling might revealed in history. It's his strength. It's his might. It's revealed in creation making of galaxies. It's revealed in his mastery of nature displayed at at, at the exodus of Israel during the wilderness wanderings, making manna appear every day or the ground opening up and swallowing or the plagues of night and hail and boils. This is God's might. It's seen in Jesus's miracle of of feeding over 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish or his might in changing water to wine. It's seen in the resurrection and the exaltation of Christ. And that's Christ. That's where we see God's might most fully. Listen to this verse, Ephesians. 1, 19 to 20. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power? And we see that that, that word is the root of both strength and, 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 and uh, power. What is the surpassing greatness of his power? Ephesians 1, 19 to 20. Toward us who believe. What, what is this power? These This power is in accordance with the working of his strength, of his might, of his might which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead at his right hand and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That is the supreme display of God's might, even greater than, than creation. It's, it's, it's ultimately fixing everything ruined by the fall, resurrecting Christ and giving him authority over everything. That is God's power towards us who believe. See, God strengthens generously. His empowering is appropriate to his strength. One commentator writes, when the multimillionaire gives of his wealth to some good cause, and he uses the the preposition of, he gives of his wealth to some good cause, he may be giving very little, right? If you give of something, it's, It's very little. But when he donates in accordance with his riches, the amount will be be substantial. And that's what God does. When he strengthens us, it is according to his might. It is, is substantial. It is in accordance with his universe creating power. It is in accordance with his strength in exalting Christ. See, God is not like a power plant operator who, when you need some energy, dispenses some triple A batteries to those who come up to the gate. God is like a power plant that plugs you into himself. 
The limitation is not on God's part, unless maybe it is God's grace in shielding you from his immense universe-creating power. God's strength is both essential and sufficient for you. In 21st century America, almost always, if you are able to pay your bills, when you turn on your lights, you are confident you are going to have light. It is there and present. The power grid is working. Well, that power that we have for endurance and steadfastness and patience, we're going to get to those words in a minute, is communicated to us through God's Spirit. It is not wires that connects us to Christ. It is God's Spirit. Listen to Ephesians 3.16. That God would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. And that is how we are connected to God's power to us in Christ. It is through his spirit. And there is nothing that can break that power. You can see the importance of us abiding in Christ, of remaining in him, first by believing in him and then continuing in him, letting his words dwell in us. Because if we have his spirit, we have access to that power and it says, well, what's the purpose of all this power? For the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. For the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. This, that word steadfastness, its root is two words. It means to stay under. One lexicon describes it as the capacity to hold out or to bear up in the face of difficulty. It is endurance. It is perseverance. It is to be able to hold your position in a battle. It is to not lose ground. It is to bear up under a heavy burden. It is what the prisoners at the prisoner camp, I'm not going to try saying it this time, they were steadfast. They endured at Kabinatuan for three years. But it says steadfastness, but also patience. Patience is, the lexicon describes it, as emotional calm in the face of provocation or misfortune. It is not complaining. It's not being irritated. Patient while awaiting a, uh, a outcome or patient while being provoked by, while patient while being poked in the eye. It is quite possible that Paul is intentionally distinguishing here between endurance and circumstances and patience with people. And we think this because of the other times that Paul uses patience and, and, and even in, in Colossians 3. Listen to Colossians 3, verses 12 through 13. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. And there's our word patience again, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Paul uses that word patience, not the word endurance here, but the words patience in our relationship with one another's. Now it says that God has given us his power for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, all, all that is, ne is needed for as long as an endurance and as much patience is needed. Saints, you walk worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ through endurance, which he energizes, and you please him with patience that he empowers. God strengthens you to endure in both the everyday fleeting trials and the lifelong struggles. He will help you endure in singleness and in marriage. He will help you endure in parenting 
and in caring for parents. He will help you endure in financial loss and unemployment. He will help you endure in work and out of work. He will help you endure when relationships at church are easy and when they are hard. This is what God does through his power communicated to you through his spirit. You have the ability to endure in Christ Jesus. And God provides patience for as many days sheltering in, in, at home as the government says. You have patience for dealing with little selfish people and you have patience in dealing with big selfish people. You have patience through, through complaints and critiques. You have patience going through ingratitude and, 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 and innocent uh, suggestions that someone gives. You have patience through bickering and through badgering. As you clean up another spilled milk, you have the power to be patient. If As you cover up the, the, the mistakes of a coworker, you have strength for patience. You have what you need through God's spirit. He has given you out of his power, out of his might, according to his strength. Will you submit to God's sovereignty in your trials? Will, will you submit? Will you trust that a sovereign God has good plan for your day? Will you rely upon him for strength? See, by yourself, you have no more capacity to endure than a car can start without a battery, as I found out recently. Currently, I have a car with no battery in it. The battery is sitting inside the van. The car, the Camry, has no battery in it. Nothing happens when I turn the key. Even the power locks don't start. You have no more power than a toaster can toast that's not being plugged in. That is in yourself. But if you are in Christ Jesus, you're perseverance, your endurance, your patience has a power plant behind it. God does not simply hook up your battery to his and give you a jump start. You do not need to fear rolling blackouts from God. You are linked to his power. His, his power is directed to you. You have the ability to please him. His universe creating might, his plague sending might, his resurrecting and exalting might is constantly being dispatched in your direction so that you can walk worthy of the Lord Jesus, fully pleasing to him. You do not have to complain. You do not have to pout. You do not have to scream. You do not have to lash out. Being tired is not really an excuse. Yes, I understand we are weak, but there is nothing throttling God's power to you if you are in Christ Jesus. And this is good news for us who want to walk worthy. So we need to be dependent. We need to be prayerful. We need to be abiding. We need to be submitting. We need to be humble and thankful. We need to go to him and prayerfully say, Lord, please help me. But if you are in Christ Jesus, his spirit is giving that power to you. We have the capacity in Christ Jesus. This is good news if we want to please him. In Christ, through Christ, your energy for endurance and your power for patience is unlimited. You can walk worthy of him by enduring. Now, the fourth way that we can walk worthy, 
We can walk worthy by enduring, but fourth, we can also walk worthy by giving thanks. We walk worthy by giving thanks. And that is what Colossians 1.12 says, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. A worthy life, one that, that matches up to some extent with Jesus' Christ grandeur and this great gift of salvation is a thankful life. It is an appreciative life. Listen to Paul's emphasis on Thanksgiving. And remember, please, while Paul is writing this letter, he's in chains. Now, most likely in Rome. He's in chains. Colossians 3.15. So, so we already have, have him giving thanks in the beginning of the letter. Now, he's saying that a worthy life is a life of giving thanks, Colossians 1.12. Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Colossians 3.17, just a couple of verses later. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. When freedoms are limited, Thanks must ascend. Paul knew this, and out of the overflow of his thankfulness, he's encouraging these saints who weren't in prison to be thankful. Now, we know there are many blessings which we ought to be, to be, to be thankful for. And Paul could have said, giving thanks to the Father who's given you your food and who's given you clothing, who's given you homes, who's given you families, all of these items which make for good reason, you, you, you know, your children's top list of things they, 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 they're thankful for when it comes time to, to talk about what you're thankful for at Thanksgiving dinner. In fact, sometimes it kind of seems, and, 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 and some of you remember the Family Feud show and how they're battling out to list the top 10 things after a survey says. Well, we know what those are. Food, maybe Thanksgiving, it's turkey, it's family, it's jobs, it's money. But Paul doesn't begin with that top 10 Family Feud list. Paul begins his plea for Thanksgiving, not with the tangibles, not with the things that can be seen. Paul anchors our thanksgiving in God's grandest display of grace. He leads our attention to what is eternal, to what is unchanging, to what is undeserved. God has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, Paul says, verse 12. He reminds, and, and, and this reminds us, reminds readers of the Old Testament, perhaps of, of the Israelites receiving their allotment, their, their, their share in the inheritance of land in conquered Canaan. Paul describes here not the promised land of Israel, but God's holy presence as being in light. And the scene here is spotless. There's no sin. There's no, there's no, there's no imperfections to see. There's no flaws. It is pristine. And the only ones welcomes here are holy ones. They are, they are saints who have been changed. They put on white robes to reflect Christ's own righteousness. And in this scene in the light, there's, there, there's perfect submission to God's captivating beauty. It's the scene every human was created to, to participate in. 
And perhaps it's tempting to think of God's throne room here, kind of resting on the sun, and all of us are, are, blinding, uh, are, are blinded by God's radiance. We have to put on shades to, to protect ourselves. But remember, the first in light was in the Garden of Eden. God rem- created us with physical bodies to work on this beautiful green planet. The new earth is part of our inheritance of the saints in light. And this morally perfect, darkness-dispelling light of, of God's new creation, we will eat and we will work and we will create and we will sing and all of that is going to be worship. And that is what God has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. It's perfect, but we were not always qualified. We were completely disqualified to enter this realm of in light. Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 3 describes how disqualified we were. It says, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, among the sons of disobedience, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. We were not qualified to be part of this inheritance of the saints in light. We did not have a valid passport into God's kingdom. We were not dressed for the occasion. The bouncers of heaven wouldn't let us in, but you know what? We didn't even desire to go in. See, we didn't appreciate the beauty of God's light. We were not spiritual immigrants longing to be on the other side of the border to be part of God's kingdom. John 3, 19 says, This is the judgment. The light, Jesus Christ, has come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. See, we love not being part of the kingdom in light because our deeds were evil and we didn't want them to be exposed. Morally, we were more like like cockroaches that scatter when the light is turned on. We didn't desire to be part of the kingdom of light. We'd been so accustomed to wickedness that we felt at home in the filth of sin and depravity. When we watched those things on TV we used to watch, we didn't feel any discomfort. But God qualified us. See, God chooses those content in wickedness. And God makes them citizens of holiness. He transforms us from these moral cockroaches to pure saints. From lovers of filth to sons and daughters. He gives us an appetite that loves the light, that craves his presence, that yearns for his pleasure, and that longs for the return of his reigning king, Jesus Christ. See, we had no right to a home in heaven, but Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. Our names, for those of us who have believed in Jesus Christ, are written on a mailbox in heaven. We have an address in heaven in the inheritance of the saints in light. Because of God's plan to justify sinners through the obedience of Jesus Christ, heaven is my home. I have my own bit of earth in God's eternal garden to work. Heaven is our inheritance. Our birthright is bought with the blood of Christ. Even more shocking is that this, God could have just given this to, to, 
to, to Israelites, the descendants of Abraham in the flesh, but God has extended this blessing to Gentiles. Listen, listen to Ephesians 2, verse 12. We were at that time separate from Christ. We were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. We were strangers to the covenants of promise. We have no hope and without God in the world, we were completely doomed. He would have been just to only rescue Israel, but then God breaks open the salvation promises to all the nations. God has qualified the unqualified. He has cleansed the filthy. He has forgiven the offenders. He has reconciled his enemies and he has granted grace to sinners. This is why we burst forth in thanksgiving. If we go back to the end of verse 11, most commentaries think that joyously goes with this giving thanks. Meditation should lead to joyful exaltation. And I can't promise that you'll feel the happiest that you'll ever feel. But if you start telling someone about God's goodness to you, if you start telling them how you were qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light of what you were before Christ, I trust by God's grace, you'll start feeling a little joy. If you start putting pen to paper and start journaling, if you open your lips and start thanking God through this verse, I trust if you know Jesus Christ, you're going to feel some joy, brothers and sisters. As I meditated on this act of God graciously qualifying us, the ones who, who used to love darkness, I can get a little sense of where Paul goes next. See, Paul's thanksgiving erupts in praise, and his meditation launches into jubilant reflection. He has shaken his spiritual can of Sprite, and it's going to burst open. And that's what happens in verse 13. Colossians 1 verse 13. He, he, he goes, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. See, we were enslaved in the domain of darkness. Listen to what we were like before Christ in Titus 3, verses 3 through 7. For we also once were foolish ourselves. We were disobedient. We were deceived. We were enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. We were spending our life in malice and envy. We were hateful. We were hating one another. But when the goodness of God, our Savior, and his love for my mankind appeared, he saved us. Praise the Lord. See, we were POWs. We were in slavery to sin, in slavery to self, in slavery to Satan, in slavery to death. We weren't those pining for rescue, though. We weren't looking toward the horizon for when salvation was going to come. We were born in the prison of rebellion, and we would have chosen to stay there. If the gates had been opened, we would have stayed inside the camp. A little over three weeks before that great raid on January 30th, on January 6th, 1945, it's a tragic story, all of the Japanese guards withdrew from the from the from, from the Cabinetuan camp, leaving the POWs completely alone. And the guards told the prisoner that they would kill them if they left the camp. See, the, they, those, those prisoners were afraid of death. So the prisoners listened, even though the Japanese soldiers weren't there. The prisoners were afraid that the enemies, it was a trick, and they would ex use it as an excuse to kill them. And eventually the soldiers came back and the prisoners were still there. See, if you don't know Jesus Christ today, if you don't know what it is to be rescued from this domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of the beloved son, if, if, if you don't know this, this, this being 
qualified to be an an inheritance of the saints in the light. If you don't know this, the door of the prison is wide open. Jesus Christ has paid for the salvation of sinners. Today is the day of salvation. The gates have been swung open. Flee to the resurrected Jesus. Go to him and be saved. I beg of you, don't wait. You don't know when the guards are coming back. You don't know when the guillotine is going to swing and that you pay for your sins for eternity. Run to Jesus Christ today while there is time to be saved. Christ has opened the gates of death with his death and he is resurrected and he sits in heaven enthroned to show that you can be saved. Put your hope in Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins. Believe in him and be saved. Flee to the resurrected Jesus and he will save you. See, God's liberation mission was successful. Those who have, been, who have believed have been made citizens of a new kingdom, the kingdom of his beloved son. And any of you, by God's grace, if you are in Christ Jesus right now, you are rejoicing to be part of this kingdom of his beloved son because he is a good king. We are no longer under the tyranny of sin. We are no longer under the tyranny of self or of Satan. We have been rescued to where Christ reigns, where Christ is loved, where Christ's commands are joyfully followed. The beloved son, the well-pleasing son, the son cursed for sinners has become the resurrected and reigning son. And as Paul mentions, this beloved son, the sinless recipient of the father's affection, he, he has to kind of linger. He lingers on what we have in the beloved son and what we have in Christ. We see that in verse 14 in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In Christ, we have redemption, the price of our, of our freedom, of our, of our being liberated from the dominion of darkness was paid by Jesus Christ with his own blood, his life given to rescue our lives. That is what, li- what liberation is. And it's not just being freed from slavery. It is becoming slaves of righteousness. We have left the service of Satan to become a soldier of Jesus Christ. We've been transferred from one army to another. Christ came to rescue, this is amazing, his enemies. It says that in Christ we have this redemption. We have the forgiveness of sins. In Christ is the pardon. These sins will never be brought up to our account again. We will not be held guilty for them. We have been released from the penalty of them through Jesus' death so that we would be welcomed into God the Father's eternal presence. See, Jesus was not a down payment. We are not on layaway. We are not working off the rest of our salvation. Our salvation in Christ Jesus has been paid in full. Brothers and sisters, if you are clean, you are clean indeed. He cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. Brothers and sisters, we who've been given so much, are we living worthy if we complain about anything? If we complain about the government's decisions in handling this crisis? If we complain about closed beaches? If we complain about another night of making dinner? 
if we complain about our children's behavior, if we complain about the, all the chaos going on at work, if we complain about repetitive days, yes, we do suffer. And we go through discomfort and we face sadness and sickness, sometimes injustice and persecution. But suffering doesn't justify the rebellion of grumbling. Grumbling was what characterized the domain of darkness. Romans 1.21 describes those describes us before we were saved, before we were transferred. They did not honor him as God or give thanks. That is the attitude of, of us as prisoners. We were unthankful, always grumbling. But they became futile in their speculations and their foolish hearts were dark and talks about how we give our worship to false gods. When we are grumbling, when we are not honoring God, when we are not being thankful, we have other idols. We are things that we are seeking to please more than God and it's ourselves. We must lift our eyes from our circumstances to our Savior. And we must lift our eyes from this coronavirus life to Jesus Christ and his cross. Where have your eyes been recently? Where have my eyes been recently? Have you been angsty at God when God has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light? Have you been impatient when God has delivered you? Have you been discontent when God has redeemed you? Have you been dissatisfied when God has forgiven you? Have you been characterized by grumbling? Like a rescued soldier who on the plane flight back, and you can just imagine this the, the scene after three years in this prison camp. This didn't happen, but imagine them being on that plane, complaining about the quality of the food on the flight home. Brothers and sisters, we are on the flight home to heaven. Christ has bought the ticket. He has rescued us with his life. We are no longer in that camp. We were interned in there all of our lives. We've been rescued and liberated and freed. Let us not grumble, but let our hearts burst with thanksgiving. And when we start seeing those, those embers of grumbling coming back, let us stoke up the flames of praise. Brothers and sisters, we who have been rescued, we're in a far worse prison than, than, than Kabanatuan. No mere human could rescue us from slavery to sin or slavery to Satan. Only one could rescue us. Jesus was more than a brave soldier. He was more than a brave soldier who gave his life to rescue fellow, fellow soldiers, as two men did. The Lord Jesus Christ, God became man, endured the wrath of God to rescue enemy combatants to those who in their heart sought to overthrow God. Will you live worthy of your rescuer, the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you make the most of your rescued life, your redeemed life, your forgiven life? Will you live like those who've been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light? Will you walk worthy? Will you walk worthy by bearing fruit in every good deed? Will you walk worthy by increasing in the knowledge of this saving God? Will you walk worthy, strengthened with steadfastness and patience? Will you walk worthy, giving thanks to the Father? See, the Savior's worth, 
the Savior's worth is why we labor in prayer for one another. This is why I need your prayers to, to walk worthy so that I live worthy of my Savior. And I pray for you so that you live worthy of your Savior because he is glorious. It's not about us. When the rangers arrived to rescue those POWs, some of the POWs had to be removed from their barracks by force. What I read said that they had to be kind of kicked out. Some of them had to be carried out. See, they were afraid that it was a trick of the Japanese. They had been freed, but they didn't live like it. If you have believed in Jesus Christ, you have been freed. There is no trick. Your redemption has been finalized. Your forgiveness has been finished. Your rescue has been completed. Your dungeon in the domain of darkness has been demolished. There's no going back if you are in Christ Jesus. So walk worthy of your Savior, pleasing to him, steadfast, patient, and joyfully giving thanks. This is how we ought to live in this new, wonderful world of freedom. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are incredibly humbled. Incredibly humbled, Lord. We are humbled as we think about the ways we have uh, complained, the ways that we have grumbled, the ways that we have been impatient with those in our home or at work, the ways we have not been steadfast, but given in to escapism and various sins, even at times being angry against you. Father, our hearts so quickly become dissatisfied in this life, and we long uh, to be to, for salvation to be complete. We long to see Jesus Christ, who has finalized our redemption with his blood, and yet we are still waiting for our glorification when we see him. We look forward to the day of Christ's return when, when, when we see the one that we love and that we are transferred to be like him and that there will be no more mark of unworthiness for the rest of human history. Father, we so long for that day. And yet now, Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Father, as we think about being steadfast, but also we think about giving thanks, that, that, that these things bring glory to you. That, that they honor your son. And so you, you've given us the power, the capacity, the ability through our relationship in Christ Jesus, through our being resurrected in him, through communion with, with you, through your spirit, that your might is working for us so that we can do this, Lord. So please, Father, I pray that even as there's been many miracles these past two months, and there's been many miracles of thankfulness, many times when we were tempted to grumble and didn't, many times when we were tempted to give into sin and didn't, many, many unsung stories of endurance, all of that was done through your power. And it is for your glory. And so we ask, Lord, that you continue to strengthen us, Lord, and give us patience. Give us patience with our little ones and give us patience with our spouses and give us patience with their parents and give us patience with our co-workers. Give us endurance in the unemployment and endurance in the employment and endurance in, in days of lockdown. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would give us endurance through, through, through trying to do school on Zoom and meetings on Zoom. 
Lord, I pray that you would help us endure. And I pray, Lord, that you would stoke our hearts with such thankfulness, Lord. Father, you, uh, Lord, we ask of you that you that you would take the scales of bitterness and selfishness and pride that we deserve better, and that you would you you would rip them away, Lord, even if it's painful. Take away the scales off our eyes so that we see again freshly what we have to be thankful for and what freedom there is, Lord. Father, may, may our experience of freedom even now and our thankfulness, Lord, may it be greater than those soldiers who understood that they were rescued. Lord, I know it was new for them that they'd been there three years, Lord, but Father, ours was paid at the infinitely worthy cost of your son, his priceless, his precious blood. Oh God, may our hearts burst with newness today. And Father, may they burst with newness in a couple hours and tonight as we go to bed and tomorrow morning. And Lord, I know, I know, Father, that that in this body, that's not the way it always works, Lord. Father, for my brothers and sisters who are most struggling with, with, with doubt and despair, I pray that you would bless them as they speak with their lips of your goodness, as they write with their pen of your grace, and as, 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 they, as they meditate on your goodness. Lord, I pray that you would ignite in them, Lord, even the beginning of a small flame of thankfulness, Lord, that their eyes would be able to go off of themselves and joyously thank you, Lord. Uh, Father, we know that that battle is real. Uh, I'm sure that some are struggling with it more than others as they, we've spent this time alone. And I pray, Lord, that you'd bless them uh, with a renewed experience of your grace. Father, we want to, 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 to live lives worthy. And by your grace, Lord, we're going to spend more time uh, focusing next week on exactly who Jesus is and how worthy he is. And Father, may our minds be blown away and may we see the fullness of Christ, Lord, that we would look no other place uh, for our righteousness, but also for our continuing sanctifi sanctification than Christ alone. In Jesus' name, amen.